Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 10. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. When you first became a Christian, did you care about five-point Calvinism, covenant theology, reformed theology, mid, pre, post, pan, tribulation? Did you care about any of those things? No. When you first became a Christian, all you knew was, Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You can say a better amen than that, because that's all you knew and that's all you cared about. When I first became a Christian, no, I, I didn't even know what, what is all this pre-trib, post-trib and all this stuff. I, I'm still trying to get my head around it. All I knew is that Jesus loved me. But then what happens is people, they somehow, listen, they, they somehow, they kind of move away from that point of love to discernment. From love to discernment, and they get positioned. Hmm? They get positioned. And anybody who disagrees with their theological position is wrong. And those same sweet Jesus-loving people have grown callous and grown cold. And don't misunderstand me. We need to be Bereans. The Bible says we need to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. That we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. That we need to be able to give every man a reason for the hope that lies within us. But we don't need to get so positioned that we forget to walk in love. And that's exactly what happens. You started off, most of y'all started off as really, really sweet people. Now look at you. Because you got positioned. Because somebody got in your ear and started telling you about five-point Calvinism and Reformed theology and covenant theology. And you started, well, yeah, it's like this. And before you know it, where's your love? And you start pointing at people, you, you don't agree, you don't believe this, and you don't believe that, and you don't believe this. Christians are hard on each other in these very areas. Why? It doesn't matter. Listen, Jesus is going to come when Jesus is ready to come. And get, and get I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. And please understand this. He's going to come whether you our mid, pre, post, pantry. He doesn't, he's not waiting on you to get the right position to come. Did you hear me? He, he'll come anyway, even if you're not ready. He'll come. Even if you think he's supposed to come later, he'll just show up. And then when he comes and you get in heaven, he'll say, see, Pastor Rodney was right. Pre-trib is the position. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. But we don't want to divide over these things. We have to be careful that we don't get too heady. Here's my point, that we don't get too heavy, heady, and we don't get too puffed up, and that we don't become so theologically minded that we are no earthly good. Because at the end of the day, listen, Christianity is about L-O-V-E. 
That's what Christianity is about. That love then is seen in service. It's seen in service. I mean, think about this. Nobody has ever changed the world by being able to prove their end times position. No one. Conversely, plenty of people have changed the world by visiting the sick, by reaching out to people, by binding up wounds. Plenty of people have changed the world through love. Now, in our story, listen, this theologian, this heady man comes to Jesus to duel it out. And he says, Master, what shall I, look at verse 25, what shall I, what, do? Not only is he a heady theologian, but he's also a legalist. Because he says, what shall I do? And Jesus, in good rabbinical form, answers a question with a question. Jesus said, what's written in your law? How do you read the law? What does it say? How readest thou? Now get this, Jesus is turning it on him and giving him a little dig here. Jesus is saying, you're asking me what eternal life is all about. You know the scriptures. How do you read it? And then the man answers with a good answer. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, verse 27. And then verse 28, Jesus says, ding, 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 ding. You gave the right answer. And then Jesus said, this do and live. And that's a toughie, isn't it? Jesus said, right answer, now do it. Which implies, listen, he doesn't do it. Because if he did do it, then Jesus wouldn't have to say do it. So he doesn't do it. Notice in verse 29, after Jesus said that, the man was trying to, did you get that? Justify himself. I don't know about you, but I am glad I don't have to justify myself. God has already justified me. Don't you understand that word justified? Here's a good way to look at it. What does it mean? Justified, you could look at it this way. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. God already justified me. How did he do that? When he died on the cross, he washed me in his blood and he forgave me of my sins. And Jesus took everything from the debit column and put it in the credit column. I don't have to justify myself. So in trying to justify himself in verse 29, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? You know, it's almost like he says, I don't want to waste love on the wrong guy. So who is my neighbor, right? Now the lawyer, now stay with me. I want you to track with me here. This lawyer measured himself against both commands and he figured that he obeyed the first command well enough. But the second command depended on how you define neighbor. So he made three big mistakes. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down right here. He made three big mistakes. Number one, his first and maybe the biggest mistake was that he assumed that he had fulfilled the first commandment. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, is there anyone who has fulfilled that command alone that you always listen to me, that you always listen to me, that you always love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul? Is there anybody in here that always loves God that way? No, I didn't think so. And please, if you think you do, don't lie in church. 
Don't lie outside the church either, but don't lie in church. Nobody always loves God. So this guy assumes that he fulfills the first commandment. That's a mistake. The second mistake he made is thinking he could fulfill the command to love God. Watch this. And at the same time, hate your brother. Listen, you cannot love God and hate your brother at the same time. Matter of fact, it's in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, and John said, if someone says they love God and hates his brother, he's a what, saints? A liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, it just makes sense. How can he love God whom he has not seen? You can't say you love God and you hate your brother. You cannot, listen to this, you can't say you love Jesus, but you don't love church. Why, Rodney? Because if Jesus is the head of the church and the church is the body, then you have to love Jesus and the body. You can't separate the head from the body. That's a monstrosity. That's ugly. Some people say, well, I love Jesus, but I just don't like, I don't like no Christians. I don't like the saints. And they think they say it with boldness, too. I don't like the saints. <laughs> I'm like, do you understand that makes no sense? You can't say you love Jesus, but you hate the church. You can't say you love God, but you hate your brother. The third mistake this guy made is to try to define the word neighbor in a narrow way. Now, if your friends are only defined as your neighbor, then maybe he fulfilled it. But the Jews get this. In Jesus, they taught that you had to love your neighbor, but they also taught that it was your duty to hate your enemy. And it all depends on who your neighbor is and who your enemy is. So the man asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, don't you love this? Let me tell you a story. I love that. Jesus was a simple teacher. And the longer I teach, the more I appreciate that. You know, sometimes you can get so deep and so convoluted and complicated that nobody knows what you're talking about. You ever heard a sermon like that? I, you know, I'm one that like brush my teeth. I got one, my TV. I could flip it to my, my bedroom. It's like on a little swingy thing. And I could turn it to my bedroom or turn it to my bathroom. So I turn to my bathroom in the morning, Sunday mornings. I brush my teeth, get myself ready for church. And I'm listening to various teachers and I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying. Don't, I don't, look, I'm not the brightest light in the lamp and I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer but I just don't get it and a lot of times if you're preaching the word of God or you hear somebody preaching the word of God and the people don't get it you can tell because they'll say oh y'all didn't get that maybe you'll get it when you get more spiritual well wait a minute if the people are not getting it then it's the teacher's responsibility to put the cookies on the shelf where the kids can get them It's my responsibility to help you get it. So if I don't think you're getting it, then it's for me to rephrase it so that you get it. So you can be simple. And if you want to be like Jesus, be simple. The man said in your teaching, the man said, 
who is my neighbor? Jesus said, let me tell you a story. Now, we don't know if this story is fiction or nonfiction. Was it in the newspaper or on the news that week? We don't know. But Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho on a highway. Now, geographically, if you look at it, geographically, this area is known as the wilderness of Judea. The wilderness of Judea. It's a very barren area, just full of rocks. Nothing is there. And bandits, thieves hung out in this area. There was this guy by the name of Jerome. And three centuries later, he called this highway the bloody way. It was on the bloody way that these thieves and robbers would beat people and take their clothes and leave them for dead. And the story continues that there was a priest walking by. Are you listening? There was a priest walking by. And so he wouldn't be ceremonially contaminated. He stepped over to the other side. And then the Levite, same thing. He didn't want to be contaminated. So he passed to the other side. Isn't that incredible? A priest and a Levite who were officials, uh, official representatives of the God of Israel walk right by someone in need, which is proof that religion does no one any good. Now you look at this story and you think these thieves and you think, oh man, that's horrible. These thieves, they're terrible. They beat people and so on and so forth. That's horrible what they did. Well, listen, I see the priest and the Levite, listen, as worse thieves than the others. Why? Because these priests and Levites, listen, they know God. They have more light. And they're robbing the man of compassion. They're robbing the man of mercy. Are you listening? They're robbing the man of help. They're robbing the man of love. And think about that. These guys are theologically perfect and their theology is nailed down and they can argue and prove their point. But when it comes time to do your theology, you walk by and you do nothing. You know, I read this story, second service. Let me read it to you. It says, I was hungry and you formed a a humanities club to discuss my hunger. Thank you. I was in prison and you crept off quietly to your chapel to pray for my release. Nice. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. What good did that do? I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your health. But I needed you. I was homeless and you preached to me of the shelter of the love of God. I wish you'd taken me home. I was lonely and you left me alone to pray for me. Why didn't you just stay? You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very hungry, lonely, cold, and still in pain. Does it matter? Does it matter? It doesn't matter. Whatever your theology is and how much you know about God doesn't matter. If that theology and that knowledge of God, please hear me, if that theology and that knowledge of God does not work its way out in practical Christian service and practical way of helping people and being a blessing to those in need, then what does it matter how much you know about God or how spiritual you think you are? What does it matter? It doesn't matter. Now, in verse 33, go ahead and peek at it. Here comes the good Samaritan who had compassion on the man. The word compassion, if you're taking those in your margins, means to be deeply moved or to get into someone else's skin to feel what they feel. He had compassion. He bandaged the man's wounds, poured oil 
and wine, which was like a medicine. He picked the man up, put him on his animal, brought him to the hotel, and took care of him. And notice he didn't call the church and say, hey, there's a guy down here. Y'all need to help. He didn't do that. He helped the man. The next day, the man had to leave, and he left two denarii. Now, two denarii is not two pennies. Two denarii, listen, is two days' salary. So think about it like this. Whatever you make per day times two, that's what the man left to the innkeeper to take care of this beaten man. And he said, if there's any additional expenses, when I come back, I'll repay you. And then Jesus said, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who was beat beat up? And did you notice the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy on him. He did not say the Samaritan. He said the one who showed mercy on him. Why? I think, here's my sanctified imagination, okay? This is just me. I think, because keep in mind, Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans were half-breeds. They were Gentiles and Jews. They were half-breeds. Jews hated Samaritans. I think this guy, he, he, he hated Samaritans so much, he wouldn't even say his name. He said, the one who showed him mercy. He didn't even have the class to say the Samaritan was the best guy of the three. Keeping in mind, listen, Jesus is telling this story. I'm trying to help you get into the story, okay? Jesus is telling this story to this scribe, and at this point, this scribe, this lawyer, this Old Testament scholar is probably so angry he's ready to implode, Because again, the Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated Jews. This hatred went all the way back to 721 BC. And Jesus is making, get this, the Samaritan, the hero of this Jewish story. This guy is like, "Mm." you know, like in the cartoons when you get so mad, your eyes like pop out like this here. You know, this guy's ready to implode. Jesus is making the Samaritan the hero in this Jewish story. It's not, the story, listen, it's not a Samaritan taking care of a Samaritan. And it's not a Jew taking care of a Jew. The story is a Samaritan taking care of a Jew that other Jews forgot about. So this man is angry. Now I want you to understand what Jesus has done here. Notice, first of all, the lawyer first wanted to know, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the law, how do you read it? The lawyer said, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said, you're right, now go do that, and you'll live. And he tries to justify himself, well then who is my neighbor? Now did you get this? Jesus didn't answer the question in the context of who is your neighbor. Jesus answers in the context of you be the neighbor to someone in need, and then you'll find out who is your neighbor. But you first be the neighbor to someone in need. Listen, you can go to seminary. You can go to Bible college. You can sit in a classroom for 20 years learning about God. But I'll tell you something. When you graduate, and you walk across that stage, you take hold of that certificate, and you move that tassel from you know, one side to the other, when it's all said and done, at the end of the day, 
you walk out of that door, you will walk into a world of people who have broken hearts. You walk into a world of people with broken families and broken relationships and drug addiction and abuse and alcoholism and pain and cancer and the death of a child. And the only thing that's going to matter to these people is not how much you know, but who you know. That's all that's going to matter. They're not going to care. They're not going to say, well, what's your theological position on uh, covenant theology? While their mother's dying of cancer. Or what is your eschatological position on uh, pre-mid, post-pan tribulation? While their child has just died. The only thing that matters is not what you know, but who you know. Somebody once said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So we have to be people that... When, when we, what we know of God has to translate, Lord, what I know about you, may I this year become a doer of your word. Jesus said, you want to know about eternal life? How do you read it? You read it like that? Well, then do that and live. That's great. Lord, I want to be a doer of your word. God says we're to love people. God, I want to begin to love people. Don't misunderstand me. This is good plaque material. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That looks good on a plaque now, doesn't it? Looks good on your wall when somebody cuts you off in Walmart parking lot. Then you're like, you know, turn that plaque around. Nobody here. I'm just saying that's just kind of how it does, how it works. But God, I want to be a doer of your word and not just a hearer only. Now, listen, I close. I leave you with this. Listen, what Jesus is describing, get this, in the Good Samaritan is exactly what Jesus did for us and is doing. The Bible says that Jesus saw us broken down, robbed completely, totally falling, fallen, laying on the side of the road of life and left for dead by the world. And Jesus left the glories of heaven and came down and he had compassion on us. And he didn't just have compassion, but he came and he rescued us. And like the Samaritan, Jesus paid the price for our sins. And he poured into us, into our wounds, not oil and wine, but his blood to cleanse us from our sin. And then he takes us to the end. What's the end? The church. We come to church and you get healed and you rest, and you get fed, and you get strong. Can you imagine? Just put yourself in this story. This Samaritan is beside himself. And what I love about Jesus, very simple, cuts to the heart, and truthful. At the same time, very loving and very gracious. God wants to do for you what this good Samaritan did for that guy traveling on that road. God wants to heal you. God wants to restore you. God wants to give you life. God wants to do for you, listen, what you cannot do for yourself. I think more than 10 people can say amen to that. Because if you could do it, it'd already be done. So by very fact that it's not done means you can't do it. But the Bible says it's not by might, nor by power, somebody help me, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord. God wants to work in you. Jeremiah 29, 11, God gives us a future and a hope. God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil that give you a future and a hope. If you want your 2010, listen, if you want your 2010 to be different than your 2009, then you got to make a commitment to Jesus. And you got to give your heart to Jesus. I'll wait while you clap. That's okay. And that's, what, that's the only difference. That's the only way your life's going to be different. Other than that, you're just going to talk about the things that you want to do and how much you want to love God and how much you want to do this and you want to do that. But you can't do these things without God's help. You can't change your life without God's help. You can't stop looking at internet stuff, amen, without God's help. You can't stop the things that you know are not healthy for you without God's help. I can do all things through Christ because he strengthens me. But without Christ, I could do nothing. God wants to work in you, and you should. Here's just my counsel to you. You should allow God to do that, and you should today make a commitment that you are going to love God with your heart, with your mind, and with your soul. And the things that were holding you back from becoming the man or the woman of God that you've been praying to be in 2009, you are no longer going to allow those things to hold you back. Now, today, you're making up your mind. You're going to follow Jesus and do what God wants you to do. Get yourself in a good Bible study. Get yourself in the Word of God. Take time to pray every day. God will change your life. That's it. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 293 That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.